Hey, welcome back to Crucial Conversations. I'm Peter. I'm Kevin. And we've been gone for a while because, well, Kevin decided that he had to go to the other side of the world for a couple weeks. I went under. Un- and Down. then up. Yeah. And then my wife had a baby, so I was off enjoying meeting my new daughter, which was awesome. I like your new daughter. Yeah, you got to meet my new daughter too. I did, Mister Godfather. You, you're, you're now. It's the coolest thing. You're ever. not just Doctor Kevin. You're now Godfather Kevin, <laughs> which is totally cool. It is awesome, but that actually inspires this this episode because we want to talk about baptism because my daughter was baptized yesterday, and there are good ways to talk about baptism and awkward ways to talk about baptism and. Ways to talk about baptism that make lots of people angry, but before we do any of those things, <laughs> yeah. possibly all three, I don't know, we'll see. Um, remember, you can support us, crucialproductions.org slash give is the way you can do that. Any little bit you do is greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. You're primarily helping get this podcast improved quality-wise, but also the Bible in five. Like, Check out our website for the Bible in five. Do a search for that because we got some cool things going on with that and production ongoing and whatnot. Uh, I've actually been working quite a lot doing test records and writing scripts or actually editing scripts for Bible in five. So go find out more about that. So baptism. So Kevin, I wanted to talk about this because there, there are it's always interesting talking about baptism with Lutherans. That's that's one audience, but also as a Lutheran talking about baptism with non-Lutherans. And what I have found is that sometimes you us Lutherans end up on the same side as the non-Lutherans in the sense that we treat baptism as if it's our own Lutheran version of the uh, deciding to follow Jesus event, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. So this this whole uh, evangelical theology, decision theology is often what it's called, where you, as an act of your will, whether it's by God's grace as influencing you or whether it's purely your own will, you are deciding to follow Jesus, committing your life to him, you know, various ways that's talked about. But either way, that, that moment in time is identified as that's the moment in which I was saved is when I asked Jesus into my heart, decided to follow him. Like I said, there's several ways to talk about it. And as Lutherans, I think we fall into the same trap with baptism in that while we're generally pretty good about recognizing God is the one doing the work in baptism, and we'll unpack that a little bit today, when when the rubber really hits the road, we're kind of, I think, Kevin, you phrased it this way, that... uh, Baptism is how we force God to save us. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's still kind of us doing the work or at least forcing God into a corner where he has to save us now because, hey, look, we're here. Well, let's go. This is how it happens. So I want to talk about that and unpack that a little bit today because where this often comes up is with the silly discussions that we have about baptism. Like, why don't you just do a drive-by baptism, you know, get the fire hose and go to a big crowd and spray the fire hose over them and, you know, say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and boom, they're all baptized, therefore they're all saved. Um, Which is not how we treat 
baptism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I said, this this is why I'm saying we treat baptism in the same way that we do this decision theology event. When we take silly scenarios like that and say, well, look, because baptism saves, let's just go ahead and apply it to anybody and everybody because it saves. Why wouldn't you want to do that? So those are my initial thoughts. Those are fun thoughts. <laughs> well, I think I think the best thing to do as we address all those thoughts is is to simply return to what happened yesterday. And this is the crucial question in the confessions is why would you baptize a baby who can't speak, who has no cognitive ability? that we can perceive of Mm -hmm. that can't even figure out how to go to the bathroom. So she doesn't poop her own pants (laughs) that is entirely dependent on other humans to survive. She had her first blowout today. Yeah. I mean, that required a bath. She's cute. There's no denying how cute she is, but she has absolutely no ability at all. Mm -hmm. So why would we baptize her? She can't even believe. So why baptize an infant? Well, can she not believe? I don't know if that's what scripture says. She exactly. can't. She can't? She that's can't. It. She hasn't. What do you mean by believe? I'm kind of confused by your use of that term. Well, I mean, she can't believe in Jesus. As in she can't say she can? or No, she can't. It's not possible for her to believe in Jesus. Oh, I see what you so mean. So why would you yes, she can't. baptize her? Well, Kevin, I can't believe in Jesus either. Well, then why would I talk to you? <laughs> so, I mean, this is the fundamental question in, in, the, in the view of baptism. is, in, And the reason infant baptism is always the key discussion is because when we discuss the baptism of infants is when we start actually explaining what we mean when we talk about baptism. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm not actually kidding. Why would you baptize your daughter? Well, my answer, which hopefully is a biblical one, is that God has promised that in that water combined with his word, he is there for her, saving her. And he's commanded me to to bring her to those waters and to baptize her. Well, maybe not me, because my pastor actually poured the water. But there's a promise attached to, to that ritual. And God has said, come, this is where I am for your daughter. So what, what did she receive when she was washed with the word? Well, several ways of talking about this come to mind from scripture. You have Titus who talks about the washing of regeneration. You have Romans talks about joining her to Christ's death and therefore in his resurrection as well. Uh, First Peter also talks about her being joined to Christ in that. Um, I'm forgetting all my baptism texts. <laughs> Acts 2. Yeah, Acts 2. Well, then, 28. Uh, yep, 28. Act. That's the big one, of course. So One of the big ones. So what we're talking about is, you know, baptism... Is is important even for children because it brings to somebody something that's already been accomplished, promised, mm-hmm. and this is the one of the ways that it's delivered. Yeah, 
And and this is an essential component to the the scriptural and Lutheran view of baptism is that baptism is not accomplishing salvation, right? Right. Baptism is a means through which God delivers to a person what has been accomplished for their salvation. Yeah, this is why, as Lutherans, we use the term means of grace. That's, yeah. that's, that's one, Baptism is one of those means of grace. It's the means by which you receive that grace. And, and whose grace is it? Christ's. Yeah, see, this is... It's not ours. This is such a huge thing, right? Yeah. The reason we baptize your daughter is because God has something that she needs. Mm-hmm. And God is gracious enough, or enough is a word with God, right? <laughs> God is gracious in such a way that he gives it to her freely. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that he told us that we can receive from him what he wants to give to us is through baptism. baptism. Yeah. See, it's not that we said, God, here's the deal. <laughs> you have to do this, so we're going to do this to force your hand to do this. No, we, we all, we, because I was there, right? Yeah. We all came together yesterday around the font and receive from God's gracious hand for your daughter what Christ accomplished on the cross, mm-hmm. what Christ accomplished in the empty tomb, what Christ accomplished in his perfect life, right? We actually stood there and confessed with the entire Christian church the faith into which she was baptized. Yeah. Father, we, we were Son, very clear. Holy Spirit, yeah. no devil at all, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we, we said it together. We said it while we're holding her. We said it with the church, not just the church assembled there, but with the entire Christian church, right? Mm-hmm. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, right? This is the point. Christ's holy church stands at the font and says, we are going to trust God that when water is applied to this child in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that he will give to her exactly what he says he's going to give to yeah. her. And that is Christ's death and resurrection. Okay, that brings up one of the things I wanted to talk about today, which when you said we stand there as the church, because I think one of the ways in which this conversation can get ridiculous, silly, or just off track is... Well, we talked about it in a couple episodes, this idea of American individualism and how it infiltrates our our very theology. And baptism, it happens in baptism too, where we treat baptism as it's just between me and God. You know, if I'm the one being baptized, this is between me and God. This is a, whether it's a transaction or even as, as a means of grace, if we're thinking about it rightly as Lutherans, this means of grace is simply between me and God. Once again, that's a very evangelical way of thinking about baptism, reducing it to that, because your entire Christian relationship in the American evangelical uh, model, <laughs> there's a better word, I can't remember it offhand, is that this is between you and Jesus. Your, your relationship with Christ is how it's, how it's talked about, between you and him. So we do this with baptism, too, where even as Lutherans, we just see it as, uh, between me and God and nobody else. But what you just said is, as the whole church, we come together. Now, 
partly where I see... Well, I have to be careful here because I'm not saying that other baptisms aren't valid. Where it's, if it's done in these ways that I'm about to say, you're therefore not actually baptized. And we could have that conversation, but I don't want people to hear me as automatically saying or meaning, if it's any of these scenarios, you're not baptized at all. Peter is actually not powerful enough to validate or invalidate baptisms. Good point. Yes, I don't actually get to do that. Um, but this idea of, I'm going to go, Philip and the eunuch, by themselves off in the desert. Well, I'm going to follow that model. And when I get baptized, it's just me and somebody else. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's just a good friend. Somebody I've asked who's a Christian that I respect. And we're just going to go do this baptism over here privately. Mm-hmm. And and that's it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not what we're talking about. That that's once again that's in the vein of American evangelicalism, not in the way the church has looked at baptism or that scripture teaches about baptism. It's because Peter doesn't believe the Book of Acts is scripture, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this I is, don't call it prescriptive. Uh, a lot of people go to this passage for for non-church context baptisms, right? Or non-teaching. There's no follow-up, right? So we don't need to either. Well, I mean, again, we have to remember that if the Holy Spirit picks you up and moves you to a foreign place and tells you to meet a chariot on the road and you're one of the seven appointed deacons by the original 12 apostles, then you too can baptize like Philip. <laughs> yeah. If those don't apply, if not all of those, if apply you don't to you, have those particular right, qualifications, them, yeah, then you might not want to do this. This might not um, apply to you, right? This might not actually apply to you. <laughs> but, but that's this is important because I I think this is this is really what you were getting at in your introduction is that when American even individualism creeps into our theology of baptism, Mm -hmm. this becomes the Lutheran opportunity to have a me and Jesus moment. Yeah. And not just once, but every day. So I can get up every day and remember my baptism, and I've got my little me and Jesus moment where Mm -hmm. I can repent, and I can die and rise in Christ, and now me and Jesus were good. (laughs) That is actually has nothing to do with scriptural baptism. Yeah, I don't find that model in scripture at all. At all. (laughs) Paul... Paul actually, I mean, this is going to be shocking to Lutherans, but Paul never says, remember your baptism. Well, Luther did in the book that he added right. at the end. And Luther said it, but We've, Paul didn't. Yeah. And neither did Jesus, and neither did Peter, neither did anybody in the Bible. So we, we can't take what Luther taught and make it Scripture. We have to understand why Lutherans, Luther said these things about Scripture, mm-hmm. right? So that's what we want to continue to kind of get at is, okay, the Lutheran confessions say these things, we believe them to be true. Why did they say these things about Holy Scripture? Mm-hmm. We're, not, we're not seeing Luther and the confessions as second scriptures or as things that norm scriptures, but we're saying this, this book is normed by scripture. So why did the confessors use this language? Why did Luther use this language? Why was baptism such a big deal to them? <laughs> yeah. Right? And, and, and that's where what you're saying is so important is that if, if we start looking at baptism the way American Christianity wants us to look at the way we relate to God, mm-hmm. we start making baptism in something that Scripture never pictures it to be. 
Yeah. And it leads us into these weird questions of, well, if baptism is the way people are saved, let's just spray the whole city. <laughs> and and you kind of go, I, I don't think you're talking about God anymore. Well, that, that's the point at which I, I want to tell Lutherans, stop using the phrase, baptism now saves you. Yeah. Just remove that phrase from your theological vocabulary for right. a while just... or forever and, and never say it again. And see how you learn to talk about baptism more as scripture does rather than as one particular verse does, which isn't even everything that verse says about baptism. <laughs> and, and it's, I mean, that verse is actually problematic because it's not like only Lutherans read First Peter. You know, everybody reads this book. And, and they read that verse in the context of their theology of baptism, and they're just as convinced that that verse proves their point mm-hmm. as we are, thinking it proves ours. Right. So it's not like you just walk up and go, hey, did you know that in 1 Peter 3 it says baptism now saves you? And they go, <gasps> no way! What? You know, it, it, it's like saying the words of institution when Jesus said, and he said, is. <laughs> as though that clinches an argument. <laughs> well, uh, and, and, and then what we do with that... Or what I have done myself and what I see many others do. I, I always say on the internet because that's where I live, yeah, unfortunately. You but do it's live on the internet. Well, this is what scripture says. And if you don't believe that, you're just rejecting God's word. Right. So, it's like, well, just a very strange way to argue. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what the important thing for us to, to wrestle with in baptism is, is what is the scriptural? What is the New Testament view of baptism? What is the, the scriptural way? to consider baptism without just quoting our favorite passages as that that clinches the deal. Mm -hmm. What's a holistic way to look at baptism? How, how have we historically wrestled with these issues? And, and I think really, you know, the extreme cases simply highlight worldview issues or presuppositions that, that bring us to ask these strange questions. If you find yourself in an, an emergency baptism situation, yeah. that that does not determine what we actually believe about baptism. Like you said, it just highlights what baptism actually is because this is a weird situation over here. This is not normal. Not normal. So we need to be very careful not to take that weird situation and have it determine what we actually believe about baptism. Or right, it's practice or change it. Yeah, and I'm I'm a little, and we probably shouldn't say this publicly, but oh well. <laughs> Too late. I'm a little leery of emergency theology. We don't we don't edit these episodes either. Yeah, we if you say should. it, it goes out. It just is because you you're know, the editor. So I'm very. I don't understand emergency theology. Yeah. You know, like this is the eternal truth of God, unless there's an emergency, <laughs> and I'm kind of like, well. Eternal but, life is kind of an emergency. <laughs> you know, it's not like God's going, this is the way it is. Whoa, what happened there? Let's change everything to fit that situation. Yeah. It just that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah. So I don't think there's such a thing as an emergency situation that changes our theology. Yeah. I think if the truth is true, then it's true. If it's what God revealed as this is the way things are, that's kind of the way things that's are. That's the way it is. So yeah. I was actually at a, at a discussion with a bunch of theologians who were obviously way smarter than I am. 
And they were talking about closed communion because that's what what Lutheran theologians do when they get together. <laughs> and they, it actually is. And they came to the conclusion <laughs> that we all agree on closed communion, allowing for pastoral exceptions. <laughs> and We're not I on video. Nobody quickly, can see our facial quickly expressions. Quickly raised my hand and said, "I don't think there's exceptions to closed communion." They're like, well, you got to understand that not everyone's LCMS, and you sometimes you got this. And I'm like, if it's the correct way to apply the doctrine, it's not an exception. <laughs> it's simply the doctrine. Yeah. And I think that's what we got to get our mind around is that emergency situations, weird situations, whatever, is not the time to forsake the doctrine. It's the time to make sure we understand why we believe what we believe about this teaching. Yeah. If if I'm driving by the side of the road, and if I'm driving by the side of the road, that's a funny place to drive by, but if I stop by I on prefer the side sidewalks, of the road, yes, personally. And and somebody is lying there who needs to be baptized, it's not a time to go, well, I can have an exception to all the rules I've ever learned in my life. No, now is the time to go, what do I believe about baptism? What does the scriptures teach about baptism? It says that by baptism, you are baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus. It says that God gives to us forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit. It says to us that this is something God gives to sinners to give them new birth. I might want to ask this dude who's about to die, hey, you need rebirth? (laughs) You need eternal salvation? Yeah. Do you believe in Jesus? If he says yes, I might want to say, have you been baptized? Mm-hmm. Well, why wouldn't we baptize? Because God wants to give you things. You want them? <laughs> They're free. It just takes some water and some words. I don't know why, but that's what he promised. So we're going to do that. Mm-hmm. See, I'm not saying we're going to throw out our theology of baptism and now as a layperson I can baptize. No, I'm simply saying, what is this gift that God wants to give to this sinner? Right. That's all I'm saying. And then the converse of that doesn't now become, well, because I did this on the side of the road in this particular situation, I should be the one doing it in church, too. Right. No. He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> God wants to give gift to sinners. How does that happen normally? Pastor in church. Pastor church. That's kind of the scriptural way this works. Yeah. That's so, how we started this particular tangent was in the church. Right. Here's how we do this. And, here's and, what we believe. And even the person on the side of the road, I would say... This happened out of context. I sure would like to get you to my church if you mm-hmm. survive this whole event. Right? Yeah. See, that's the point, is is we we drive to the way God has told us that things are supposed to be. And the scriptures are clear. The way God designed us is to be in the context of other people mm-hmm. in the presence of God. I mean, this is what we call heaven, right? It's right. not going to be me and Jesus. It's going to be me and a countless multitude in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're always driving the sacraments. Is we See, we get trapped into thinking that baptism is, is a good luck charm, a magic wand, my opportunity to tell God what he must do. And that's just so I wrong I like to spirited. think of it as a force field a force around field. me. It's a get-out-of-jail-free card. squishy, it's, you know. It's like a bath, but with Jesus. You know, I mean, all these strange things come with it, and you're like, no, it, Shall it really Shall I name isn't. this episode Bubble Bath with Jesus? Yeah, rubber rubber ducky with Jesus. You know, and that, but that's the point, is it's silly, but that's actually what we do. Yeah. And and what 
once again, we're, we're neglecting the real treasure of baptism. The real treasure of baptism is not that we found this magic way to, to save people. No, it, the treasure of baptism is that God has given us this simple way mm-hmm. to bring to a sinner what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That's amazing. And we look at God and we say, can I do this for my kids? And he goes, please, this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, yeah. all whom the Lord our God will call to himself. Right? So this is this is what we do with it. We say, you have given me a gift so that I can bring your gracious accomplishment on the cross to a sinner. Well, as a parent, the first thing I want to do is give it to my child. Mm-hmm. Well, I probably want to give it to my spouse if she's not baptized, but right. <laughs> well, but you said as a parent, that I married, right. so it's okay. You said as a parent, we're good. So I've probably already taken care of the spouse <clears throat> issue. Yeah. But at that point, you know, you have a newborn, and and I, I got to go even see her in the hospital, and and right away I'm thinking, here's a cute little sinner. <laughs> you know, let's let's get her some Jesus. And so we read scripture together. We prayed together. We mm-hmm. we talked about the fact that her Savior has already died for her. Yep. But we didn't wait. As soon as possible, we got her to the baptismal font and said, this is how God promises to do this. Yeah. Let's do it. And and I think that's where we want to start with baptism. Instead of looking at it and trying to figure out all these weird things, what we want to do is continue to get back to the, the fact that the New Testament says that when you baptize, the result is new birth, the result is the Holy Spirit, the result is forgiveness of sins, the result is life, Right, and and in John three, the result is the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. and none of that stuff is bad. And also, none of that stuff is about Peter. Right, right. None of that stuff is about Margareta, and none of that stuff is about Kevin. And and we don't look at baptism without any of those things as part of it. Right. I, I think that becomes part of the problem. Is we're just going to pick and choose some of these things. So I'm going to pick the part of baptism where I'm receiving this gift from God, but I'm going to do it outside the context of the church, which is also part of baptism. It's it's all together. And we kind of, well, based on, kind of going back to what we were talking about before, based on this unique emergency situation, I'm going to ignore most of what Scripture says about baptism. You know, the part where it's, given to pastors to do baptism it's given to the church right to have baptisms taken place in the in the body of Christ because it brings you into the body of Christ i'm going to ignore those two things because in this situation well it seems like i can only actually get it done if i ignore those and do it over here myself so i'll give you an example here and maybe you can help me out my friend comes to me has approached other congregations and for whatever reason they won't baptize him but he comes to me and i say well they won't do it i'll take care of it i'm not a pastor right we're not in the context of a church right but i just say well look baptism saves you want to be saved why not why wouldn't i do this and i and and because i know in scripture it's water and the word it's not about me having special abilities if i were a pastor having some magical special ability to make a baptism valid 
The fancy word for that would be sacerdotalism. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's your fancy theological word for the day, people. Sacerdotalism. It, you know, I know my pastor doesn't have special magical abilities that make baptism only work when he does it. So given all that, why wouldn't I just baptize my friend? Well, I, th- I think the, the better question is why would you? I mean, I don't understand what you're trying to accomplish here. I, I want to save him. Right. Well, you can't do that. <laughs> you failed. <laughs> See, that's the point is we've, we've now shifted the conversation to I want something from God or I want to give you something from God and I'm going to do it in the way that I've figured out that makes sense to me. But that's not actually baptism. Or the way that works in this moment. Right. Or so the it's way a that, pragmatic view that I can find will. a way to make God has to answer. And, and a lot of this comes from we want assurance. We want to make sure we know for certain that someone's saved. So we kind of say, well, baptism, God can't neglect his promises. He's promised baptism. Therefore, if I baptize, God has to follow through. And therefore, I know he's saved. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we kind of just messed up there a lot. <laughs> and... I don't know about you. Now but, we're starting to get at how I started off this episode. But anytime we get in a position where we're, we're mandating to God what he must do, my advice is that's not where you want to go. You want to repent of that sin. Mm-hmm. Because about the time I start telling God things is the time that I get confused on who's God and who isn't. See, and so what we want to do with baptism is, is if you have concern about your friend's salvation... Don't talk to him about baptism. Mm-hmm. Talk to him about the thing that actually accomplishes salvation. Yeah. His name is Jesus. And if, if he wants to be baptized, that's great. That's awesome. Don't you go to church on Sunday? Don't you have a whole people who would love to rejoice this person's baptism? Mm-hmm. I mean, we just have to resist the temptation to take this into our own hands. Yeah. When it comes to matters of the faith... We, we never say, I got this. No, 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 no. I know a place that you can come. I know the family of God. You believe in Jesus? So do I. That puts us in the church. Baptism is something that occurs in the church. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I'll get in trouble for saying this, but way too many people allow private baptisms. And, and I know we can talk about the history of the church, but but the reality of it is is that in our context more than ever, we need to make sure that we're not we're not advocating private baptisms. Mm-hmm. We're advocating the entire church being present if possible for a baptism because this is not about me washing you into Jesus. This is about God's gifts coming to you as a sinner to deliver to you what Christ accomplished on the cross. And, and it's a simple question is you say, where does that take place? And everyone knows the answer. Church. Church. And, and I think what's helpful in thinking about that is, once again, it's not me and Jesus in my salvation. Right. It's God joining me to the body of Christ and, and continually remembering church is the body of Christ. That, mm-hmm. that is what that is. And so when I'm being joined to that, I should probably be joined to that in that context. In that, yeah. It's also helpful when you're when you're if if we're gonna use proof texts, which we don't necessarily recommend, right? Um, but look at the context of, of them. Matthew twenty eight, 
Jesus talking to the first pastors, mm-hmm. giving them that command. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romans, Romans 6, where we talked about that, that's Paul talking to the church in Rome. The entire church. The entire Rome. church in Rome. He's yeah. not talking to individuals in Rome. He's talking to the entire church. First Peter, he starts off to a whole list of churches. In, yeah. in these several areas, he's talking to those churches. All of the... Pa- uh, Titus, Paul talking to a pastor. There is no instance of here's how to do baptism here's what baptism does where it's you as an individual being talked to by god if i can phrase it that way that's kind of an awkward phrasing the other thing to say and i I agree with all that that's exactly right so that that takes kind of the church context the other thing we want to address is this idea that because i actually heard this from a non-lutheran theologian who was critiquing the lutheran view of of baptism um he's actually brilliant and, and he was very good except for he just totally got this wrong. He said... <laughs> he was great on everything else. Yeah, he really was. He but but then he came to this and he said, when I read Lutheran theology on baptism, it appears to me as though it's another way to be saved. You can either believe in Jesus or you can receive receive baptism as a sacrament. Hmm. And I thought, that's really interesting that he would perceive that because this guy is brilliant. He's yeah. not a bad reader. He's not a he's not a bad thinker. Um. But the fact that that's how he reads our theology, that's one of the things that really made me think, how are we, how are we talking about yeah, this? Yeah, what are we how, actually saying that he would that get that? That you are hearing this, yeah. right? Which, and, which they are. Any of us who have had a conversation with our non-Lutheran friends and family, this is what they say. Right. That, that's they, what they all hear. They think the sacraments <laughs> are our second way to be saved. You can believe in Jesus, which is great, but sacraments are another way that God saves you. Yeah. And I think that's where I really want to continue to drive this conversation is that baptism is not parallel with the death and resurrection of Jesus as things that we should believe in to be saved. Mm-hmm. This is why the, this simple phrase means of grace is so important. Yeah. Is that these are simply the ways that God has promised to give to sinners what Christ accomplished on the cross. Remember grace is the favor of God because of what Jesus has accomplished. Yeah. And that's so important. What what we're giving to people in baptism, what we're receiving in the Lord's Supper, what we remember in our own baptism, what we receive through through hearing the word is the Holy Spirit works faith in us to trust that what Christ did on the cross is valid, it works for me, and it accomplishes salvation for a sinner. Mm. Right? And, and so what we're saying in baptism is this is not your opportunity. This is one of the ways that God graciously gives to us his grace, right? It's a yeah. free gift to receive what was accomplished for you. It's not your opportunity to do something. And, and this is why when we have this conversation with our with non-lutheran friends and they say no baptism doesn't save you jesus saves you we can just say yeah yeah i agree with you i'm actually okay with that yeah because then you actually get the opportunity to talk about okay yes jesus saves here's how he does how did he do that where did he do that well now let's talk about how that gets to me right how did how does that actually get to me here because he did that two thousand years ago that was a long time ago right there's a lot of stuff happened in between him and where I am now. 
how does that 2000 year ago event that paid for my sin actually get to me? Right. And that becomes the discussion of the book of Concord with the Anabaptists, with the enthusiasts, and even with the Catholic church in some ways was the question of how does what Jesus accomplished become something that is given to me as a sinner? Mm -hmm. Do I have to earn it by doing good works? No. Does it just come to me kind of ecstatically? <laughs> no. Yeah. God works through means. Yeah. And this is this is the testimony of the New Testament, right? Yep. See, and as long as we, we couch it in that language, we're, we're, we're speaking words in the New Testament, we're speaking confessional words, and we're saying really to any sinner that this is the way that God in all of his eternal wisdom has chosen to give to you mm-hmm. a gift. Yeah. And one of the coolest things is I got to watch that gift given. Yeah. To somebody yesterday that I love. Not quite as much as you love her yet, but <laughs> you know, but but when we when we hold a child in our arms and hand her over to the pastor mm-hmm. and he takes her and and pours water over her head in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you know that the God of the universe is saying, I'm giving to you eternal salvation Mm -hmm. that was won for you by my son. Mm -hmm. You are now in him, in his death, in his resurrection. And when he comes again, you belong to him. And then the whole congregation says, we welcome you in the name of the Lord. It's just the best. And this, this turns the entire conversation from a debate about baptism to a discussion about who Jesus is and what he's done for us and how that gets to us. And when when you really get down to it, that is the crucial conversation. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks.